Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. I'm Christy Brower here with my co-host, Katie Weaver. Hey, Katie. Hello. How's it going? It's going great. We are excited to be with you today. We were joking that um, the case that we're doing for this show has been waiting for a while. We've Mm -hmm. almost done it a couple of times and it gets bumped or we run out of time or whatever. And so poor Henry. Or something exciting happens. Right. Well, poor Henry McCabe has been waiting a while to get his turn on our show. He has. If the Vallow case would quit having weird shit happen. Right. Then we might actually get to do this case. They can't. And there's been more this week. So, but that'll be I know. next week to discuss. Be <laughs> right now, it's really Henry McCabe's turn. But before we get started. We can't yeah, bump him again. We, we cannot. No. I'm quite sure we're both going to get contacted if we do. So. <laughs> at this point. So uh, before we do that, let's do a little check-in. Katie, how are you? I am okay. We've had some really weird energy this week all over the map. Yeah. It's been really anxious, really uh, up and down. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's the human resonance more than anything, but yeah, mm-hmm. I've, I'm okay. I mean, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. Just uh, really feeling it. But you know, I, I talked a little bit, uh, I think last time we met about being really sick of my flower beds and being really determined to do something with them. And by yeah. God, we did. So, oh, well, there you go. Problem rest solved. Rest assured, all is well in my world. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. <laughs> so, really, truly, I'm okay. But, you know, if you guys have been feeling, you know, some weird uh, energetic shifts this week, that's pretty par for the course. This energy is, ugh. Yeah, it is. I've been all over the place too. I'm just in a good mood tonight because I'm finally getting my hair cut. So this is, you know, um, if you're listening to the show later on, we're Mm -hmm. still currently in the um, midst of the COVID-19 shutdowns and um, hairdressers just opened this week in our area. Mm-hmm. And because I'm super high risk, I got very lucky that my hairdresser has agreed to cut my hair after hours in her salon. So I'm the only person in there. Yeah. Which I think is really sweet. Um, and so I'm very excited. So after we record That's the show, awesome. I'm going to get a haircut because my hair is driving me nuts. So Well, well it looks great anyway, but I'm glad you're well, going thanks. to get it done. If I uh, makes you feel good. Him. Yes, it does. I also got a massage today for the first time in 10 weeks. Yeah. I usually get a weekly massage. So if that Mm -hmm. tells you how pissed off I have been, that I have had to go that (laughs) long with that one. So I'm doing all right. Things are good. good. Yeah. That sounds like a whole lot of good self-care. It is very good. Yeah. Okay. Now, Henry McCabe. Let's get Henry McCabe in the spotlight. This is the- Without further ado. Without further ado. This is the (laughs) mysterious death of Henry McCabe. So this is one of our cold read shows. I'm going to present the case to Katie. She's going to give us a cold read on what happened with Henry McCabe. Mm -hmm. So she hasn't studied the the case. She's just going to give us her cold read on what's gone on with him because this is still an unsolved death. Um. I can't really call it a murder at this point, uh, at least legally. It's not called a murder. It was called a, a drowning mm-hmm. and and deemed an accidental death. But there are a lot of weird things about it. So we're going to just jump right into it. Mm-hmm. So Henry McCabe lived in Moundsview, Minnesota. Okay. He was a Liberian man who uh, emigrated to the United States when he was 14 due to a civil war in Liberia. Um, something I didn't know is that in Moundsview, Minnesota, there's quite a, a community of people from Liberia. 
who lived okay. there and he was a prominent man in his community, well-known um, professional guy. He worked for the state. He was an auditor for the state. Okay. And, and so he, he was somebody that people knew well and, mm-hmm. you know, and thought highly of. So this happened on September 7th, 2015. This was early in the morning, you know, 1, 2 a.m. Uh, time frame. Henry. December- Sorry, December 7th, 2015. September 7th, oh, 2015. Good thing I said it. Okay. Yep. Yep. He had been out clubbing with some friends. His wife was uh, out of town. She was in California visiting some friends. And so he was last seen by most people at a club called Pavlitsky's early Monday morning uh, before the club closed. And he was with a sort of acquaintance of his, they, it, it kind of comes out that they weren't like super good friends, but they were hanging out that day and they'd gone to this club together. And uh-huh. his name was William Pappas Kennedy. I'm just going to call okay. him Kennedy for the rest of the story. Um, because okay. that's how he's generally referred to in the news stories about this case. And how old was Henry? Uh, I, Henry was 32, I believe. I don't have it right in front of me, but okay. if I recall correctly, he was 32. Okay. Um, okay. So he was clubbing with Kennedy. Mm-hmm. They had, um, ridden to the club together. And so according to Kennedy, after they left this nightclub, uh, Pavlitsky's, he dropped McCabe off in Fridley at the super America gas station on 73rd Avenue. There are conflicting stories about why he dropped him off in the middle of the night at a gas station. But one of the main ones is that Henry was insisting that he drop him off. But again, all we have is what Kennedy says, because we we don't actually know. Now, one of the things that's kind of dicey about this case is it turns out that that is not where Kennedy dropped McCabe off. He actually dropped him off at a holiday gas station that was about five miles away. So it was kind of strange that it came off as the wrong gas station. There were questions about, you know, was Kennedy inebriated? Were they using drugs? Why would he not remember which gas station it was? You know, it seemed kind of weird. Yeah. So later that very early morning, so we're still talking like 2 a.m. ish. Mm -hmm. um, Kareen McCabe, who's Henry's wife who was in California at the time um, gets what they call a pocket dial phone call from Henry. So it's not a, Hey, how are you? It's me kind of call. It's just, she answers the phone and she can hear noise happening. Like we've all had a pocket dial, right? Yeah. Um, So on this call, Henry is heard screaming in distress and he says that someone shot him. Um, then, so while this phone call is going on, Kareen calls Tim Borber and he's Henry's biological brother and his voicemail picked up, but she basically, she like three-way called so that, um, his voicemail picked up a pretty significant part of this phone call. Okay. Um, the call lasted around two minutes. Well, no, the, I guess about two minutes of the call was recorded. It was longer uh-huh. than that, but about two minutes of it was recorded. 
Um, because you know, it was the middle of the night. So Tim mm-hmm. Borber had not answered his phone. He gets the voicemail the next morning to what he described as his brother crying. Now, other people have described growling, screaming, shrieking sounds on this voicemail. Now mm-hmm. we're going to play this voicemail for you right now so that Katie can hear it. And, and all we have is a 10 second clip. The police have never released the entire thing. Of course. So okay. um, we're going to play it. It'll play three times in a row so that you can kind of hear what they were hearing. So we're going to play that voicemail and we'll be back in just a minute. Okay. Okay. Um, all I have to say is, whoa. Yeah, that is that extremely unsettling. It doesn't even sound human, right? No. Like it sounds like a wild animal screaming. I mean, a, a person could sound like that if they were in major distress. But mm-hmm. if you if you were just to hear that part with no context, I would think you wouldn't even realize it was a human being making those sounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a. I read an article a few years ago. It about a woman that was attacked by a shark. She was a diver. Okay. And she was in full gear and she was recording. She was making a documentary and she was attacked by a shark. And later in the, uh, the interview I listened to, they played the, her screams uh, because it was recorded, right? Because she was recording. Oh, wow. And she said, going back later and listening to those, I didn't even know sounds like that could come out of a human being. She sounded like a wild animal. Yeah. And when I heard this recording, it reminded me of of that article and Mm -hmm. and hearing that woman scream like that when she was being attacked by a shark in mortal fear. Anyway, um, I did make a a connection there. Yeah. Yes. So that's incredibly unsettling. Super unsettling. Can you imagine, like, you have two minutes of recording sounding like that? I mean, that was only 10 seconds. Can you imagine how frantic his wife must have been? I I can only imagine. She's not even in the state, you know. Yeah. What can she do? She has no Mm -hmm. idea what this means. Of course, then he's not answering his phone. She can't, you know, get a hold of anybody that knows where he is or what's going on, you know. Um, so then what happens is that the brother, Tim, hears the voicemail the next morning and when he listens to it and he hears what he described as his brother crying, I, mm-hmm. I think it's maybe way more extreme than that, mm-hmm. but he knew something was really l- wrong. And so he filed a missing persons report with the Mounds View Police Department, mm-hmm. uh, which is where Henry lived. So next day, um, Brother files the police report. Henry does not show up for his job as an auditor for the Minnesota Department of Revenue. He didn't call or show, you know, or show, which was really weird. He loved his job. That was very much unlike him. Mm-hmm. Um, no one could find him. No one could get a hold of him. He was just gone. Wow. So the Minnesota police um, were called in and they met with Kareen McCabe and other family members to kind of get an assessment on, of what had happened and decide what to do. 
Um, let's see. So the police did a family interview with, with some of the family members and they learned the names of the other people that he was with at the club that night. Uh, I don't have their names, but basically they all said they didn't know where he was. They hadn't seen him since he left the club, but a couple of strange things. So one friend, a different unnamed friend had his wallet Hmm. and Kennedy, the guy who was driving him around supposedly had his keys. And Hmm. so when he was dropped off at this gas station, he didn't have his wallet or his keys. He couldn't even, wouldn't have even been able to get into his house. Mm-hmm. So found that interesting. Uh, let's see. So the police decided this was a really sus- suspicious case. And mm-hmm. so they started searching for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were keeping an eye. He didn't use his bank account. He didn't c- contact his family or his job or anybody. And, um, you know, nothing ever, and his phone never turned back on. So he just basically disappeared without a trace. So the police looked for him for three months. Wow. Uh, they did learn finally that Kennedy had given uh, the wrong gas station name about where he dropped him off. They did have some um, evidence that proved that he was at the holiday gas station, not the super America gas station. Uh That's really all they had. I mean, this just went nowhere. He just dropped off the face of the earth. It seemed like Uh then on November 2nd, 2015 uh, in the police. Well, let's see. Somebody discovered a body at rush Lake. This is in new Brighton. This is also Minnesota. And they discovered a body in the lake. And uh, they it, it just determined that it was, in fact, Henry. Yeah. So they found him three months later. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there are lots and lots of questions about what happened to him. Let me tell you a really strange thing, because I think this is pretty key. You know, uh-huh. he in this screaming, crying, howling phone call, he says he's been shot. Uh-huh. When his body was found, he had no injuries at all. He was not shot. He was not in any way actually harmed at all. Uh, he didn't have any injuries at all. They they determined it to be a drowning, uh, which seemed strange. How yeah, did he really get strange. from the gas station to the lake? Um, it does seem that there's questions about if people were honest about if they knew where he was that night. There, There's questions about did... The other friends know where he was. You know, there's never been a super clear explanation about why Kennedy just dropped him off and left him there at 2.30 in the morning. Uh, so that is the story. That's kind of where it ends. Um, there mm-hmm. are a lot of theories um, sure. around it, of course. Um, one of them being that it has something to do with the Liberian Civil War that he fled when he was 14. Um, and, it, you know, I don't know. Some some people have wondered about that, but there's not really Henry's mother um, felt that her son was sacrificed in a Liberian ritual that might have had to do with the, the Liberian Civil War. But there was never any evidence of that. It was just simply, I think, maybe made her feel better at the time. To assign something to it, sure. Assign something to it. But he was a 14-year-old kid when they left Liberia, and he mm-hmm. was now an adult. You know, like, it was a, there's a huge span of time between the time he left Liberia and mm-hmm. the time that he was killed. And there was no, ev- never any evidence of that. And so this is still an 
open case. It is kind of a suspicious death case. Excuse me. Um, it's not been necessarily deemed a murder because mm-hmm. uh, they just don't have enough evidence to know for sure what happened to Henry. So mm-hmm. that's the story. What do you got? What are you What are you feeling about this? What do you think happened to Henry? This is such a weird story. I looked at the Liberian angle. It didn't settle for me. I looked at the financial angle uh, regarding his job. Okay. That didn't settle for me. Right. I, I mean, he, you know, basically was a tax auditor for the state. Mm-hmm. None of those things come up for me. Um, there was forensics on his body, I'm assuming. Um, of course, he was had been in water for a long time. So water for three probably months. not. It really didn't tell him anything. Yeah, that's what I was guessing. Other than, other than he hadn't been shot and he didn't have any injuries. That they right. could tell. I mean... I would imagine that soft tissue injuries on a body that has been floating in the water for three months, you know, I mean, they'd, they'd know if he had broken bones. Sure. But would they know if he had bruising or, you know, a black eye? See, I think he had maybe some light bruising, things like that, but I don't think he had any like major injuries. I, mm-hmm. I don't. Okay. I do feel like after he. Okay. I'm backing up. (laughs) I feel like at the club that there was some kind of drug use involved. I suspect that he maybe didn't know what he was getting into. Uh, I think that Kennedy is a real sleaze. And I'm getting that too. That, um, he, you know, he might not have been involved in his death. I actually don't think he was, but he was a sleazeball. And, but at any rate, so, but there was kind of a, you know, a cat's away, mouse will play. You know, his wife was gone. He was hanging out, playing kind of, you know, he was pretty rowdy, honestly. And, and mm-hmm. so anyway, I do think that there were some drugs involved. I think that he was on a bad trip. I right. think that when, uh, I think that the reason Kennedy had his keys is because he was driving him home. I really feel like that was actually what was supposed to be happening there. Mm-hmm. And that uh, his friends at least didn't let him get in a car because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he obviously shouldn't have been. I don't know that I feel like they've all been so that so forthcoming with law enforcement because they were using mm-hmm. something that hit McCabe like really hard. Like maybe yeah. something like a bad batch or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or, or maybe you know, a bad combo with his prescriptions or something, you know, he, for whatever reason, he, whatever they took or were doing, he was on a really bad trip. Yeah. I feel like he repeatedly tried to jump out of the car. Mm. I think Kennedy had had enough and didn't want uh, any more liability, you know, essentially with this fool. I think he'd been using two and basically, yeah, dropped him off at a gas station. I feel like he was extremely paranoid. That he was having one of those psychotic, you know, moments, you know, that people can have sometimes with a bad reaction to drugs that mm-hmm. he thought that somebody was trying to kill him. That's what I believe happened. I, what I'm seeing from him is struggling, trying to jump out of the car. Kennedy finally dropping him at a gas station. I think he was insisting in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. I do. I think he was insisting. Um, I don't think that he necessarily lied about where he dropped him off. I do think he didn't know. Okay. I think he was not in good shape himself. It, mm-hmm. This feels like a lot of substance abuse to me. Okay. 
then I think that McCabe wandered for a while on his own. And then I think he hitchhiked. I feel like he truly did not know what he was doing. But he was one of those trips where someone who doesn't know him might not really get that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You might have come across like he was actually pretty normal for all they knew of this person. And so what he's showing me is stumbling down the road. I think he walked for a while. Then again, it's what, you know, 2 a.m. or close to it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's very early in the morning. I think that a car, I do feel like his wife, uh, how do I, well, I think I need to stop and tune into him. Okay. I'm just telling you what I'm feeling, but I really would like to get it all from him. So let me stop. Okay. I have no idea what they used. I just keep hearing brown. Brown. Okay. Well, Brown. It, it could be a drug reference. I mean... I, I think so. I just, my, my drug skills are <laughs> pretty not, low. Not so good. <laughs> brown. That's what he keeps telling me is, is brown. Okay. Oh, okay. So I, I backed up to the club with him because I really wanted to see where we went from there. According to his best recollection, remember that he was must, messed up, so he might not have the best info, but I, that's where I want to go. So, Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's showing me, yep, the club with the guys. I asked him why he was hanging out with this Kennedy guy in the first place. Mm-hmm. He said that it was a favor. <laughs> a favor. I said, from who? He said somebody, a friend of his who needed this guy to basically out of his hair for a little while. I think mm-hmm. he was uh, interfering pretty heavily in another friend's life or something mm-hmm. along those lines. But he was hanging out with him that day as a favor of all okay. things. So. Interesting. Okay. He was actually a good guy. I, I, I think he was a good guy. I think so too. That is really my impression that, mm-hmm. that now brownies is a slang for amphetamines. Hmm. I'm just looking up a few things here as you're talking, just okay. seeing what, because mm-hmm. I know that, you know, lots of drugs have different, uh, all kinds of um, slang mm-hmm. words. Of which I know a few for marijuana, and that's about it. <laughs> so I'm looking them up. I think Kennedy. Okay, so Kennedy is the person that had the drugs. He's the one that provided the drugs at the club. Mm-hmm. He says he hit me twice. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I'm asking. I'm not uh, physically. Brown is heroin. Huh. Yeah, that's a brown is a is a slang for heroin. It is also a slang for LSD. That's interesting. I think it was LSD. Yeah, brown dots or a brown bomber are LSD. That, so he hit me twice. He's he's talking about the drug. I mean, whatever. Okay. Right. Then, okay, so yes, he was driving him home. His friend has had his wallet, I think, because he used it to pay his tab. Mm. Basically, I think he was starting to freak out, and his friends wanted to get him out of the club. Okay. Because, okay. Uh, you know, because they were using. And also, I think that they didn't want, uh, you know, to jeopardize his job or get him arrested or something. So, 
you know, one friend did take his wallet. I do believe he was using it to pay his tab or something along those lines. Uh, Kennedy had his keys because they sure as hell couldn't let him drive. Right. And he says he remembers feeling like he was floating, spinning. Oh, he said very scared. He said that like six times. Very scared, very scared, very scared, very scared. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. This is where he's showing me trying to get out of the car. That he kept trying to get out of the car. Okay. He was convinced that somebody was trying to hurt him. Okay. And it really wasn't true. What happened is his friends wrestled him into that car. Okay. And he may have taken that wrong in his state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So eventually, yes, Kennedy finally boots him out at that gas station because he's literally going to leap out of a moving car. And leaves. Like a big coward because he doesn't want to implicate himself and figures that he'll probably just find a way home. Kind of sad. I think if one of the other friends might have driven him home, maybe this wouldn't have happened. You know, Mm -hmm. ultimately, he should have gone to the hospital. Right. Obviously. Because he was on a really bad trip. Okay. So moving forward from the gas station. And this is a pretty muddled mix from him, too. I'm sure memory of this is probably not super clear. All right. This is when he is showing me walking down a a road. It looks like a pretty busy road. So he does hitchhike and he gets into a car. An older brown kind of beat up car. Okay. Um. Basically, he just keeps saying to these people, I just got to get home. I just got to get home. And he's not really communicating well. He tells them he's got to get home. I believe they tell him where they're headed. And he says, okay, that's okay. That's okay. Um, Weird that what he's showing me is everything he says he repeats like six times. Oh, mm -hmm. but. All right. So at some point, I feel like he goes crazy in the car and they stop and kick him out. Okay. This is close to where he dies. I feel like it's after he gets out of their car that he butt dials the wife. Because he's still kind of walking, running, frantic. He truly believes that someone's trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody shot at him. I do wonder if the people in the car had a gun. Mm. And that's maybe how they got him out of their car. At some point, Mm -hmm. I think they realized that they had a crazy person on their hands, you know, Mm -hmm. and they just wanted him out of the car. And they sped away and left him. And let's see, this is where I think he was close to the lake. I think this is, he was close to where he died at that point. Uh, His, that's when he made the butt dial, you know. Uh, I'm unclear on whether he had his phone with him. Was it with him when he died? We don't know. Uh, I well, I I haven't seen anything that said that where where it was recovered. Where or it not, was, just that it was never turned back on. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think he meant to use it at all. Um, 
But I do think that the sounds that he were making was making were not a wild animal. I think they were truly him. Mm-hmm. That that was the level of freak out and distress that he was undergoing at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, remember, too, he's now been way down the road in a car with strangers. He's on this trip. He has he's scared to death. And now he's basically kicked out of the car, kind of, it looks like in the woods or in a woody area. Mm-hmm. He is truly that scared. Has no and idea I do, where he is, I would imagine. No idea where he is and thinks still thinks that somebody's trying to kill him. He's trying to get mm-hmm. away. And I do think that he ran right into that lake and drowned. I do think okay. it was an accidental drowning. I don't think anyone actually did this to him. Uh, it's extremely sad. I feel like his friends are, you know, wow. With friends like that, who needs enemies, you know? Yeah, obviously covering their own asses in this situation. mm -hmm, Absolutely. Uh, I think in part they lied to the police a little about, you know, seeing him or what happened there. I think in part maybe they don't know for sure because they were all kind of messed up. But that's what I feel like happened. It's profoundly sad. I'm so sad for his wife Yeah, because... So many. I believe he did have children also. Uh Uh-huh. And so chilling to have you know, that phone call and his death and three months of him missing and not knowing. And that, you know, I mean, the whole thing is just really terrible. And I'm still, I'm just disgusted with the people around him that I think know more than they're saying. They're just, to what end are they going to say? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, at this point, what will it do? It'll, you know, implicate him as somebody who was doing drugs, which they really don't want his wife to have that kind of, you know, and kids to have that idea of him. And Mm -hmm. they just, they don't want to, implicate themselves either and you know jeopardize their own lives and jobs and he's dead anyway so no one's going to say anything you know though I do Mm -hmm. feel like the police kind of leaned on the Kennedy guy you know and Mm -hmm. and that's why they got kind of some shoddy answers from him but there just really wasn't much for him to say essentially what uh he did it, it was true you know he did insist on getting out of the car and he did drop him off at a gas station. So, mm-hmm. you know, those points were accurate. I think there was just a little more to it than that, that they weren't saying. So, right. Well, and I mean, knowing he's on a bad trip and just abandoning him in the middle of the night with mm-hmm. no way to get home or, I mean, mm-hmm. that's wild. It, it's so wild mm-hmm. to think they didn't take him to the hospital. Mm-hmm. They didn't get him some help. Well, also the people that picked him up and then kicked him out of their car why didn't they call the police? Right. Why not call the police and say, hey, this guy's freaking out. We're, you know, he needs help. Mm-hmm. Something. It's very yeah, sad that, that no one cared enough to see that he was, you know, taken care okay. of in that situation. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, I think he got really belligerent and scary in their car, you know, when they made him get out. But anyway, um, and it kind of makes me wonder, what were they doing out in the middle of the night? You know, what were they up to that they weren't willing to call the police and let them know that they'd had this person in their car mm-hmm. and tossed him out in this place? But had they done that, you know, maybe a deputy would have found him and he could have gotten medical care. Anyway, it's sad. It's really sad. But I actually don't think there was foul play. Yeah. For what yeah. it's worth. He doesn't seem to think there was foul play. So it's just a super, super sad, unfortunate situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. And just, yeah, like you said, it's one of those um, situations where multiple people really let him down. Yeah. And it maybe yeah, didn't have to go like, down like this. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think always in cases like this, we, we should take a lesson, you know, that if you see somebody yeah. in a situation like that, you need to call the authorities, call 911, somebody, mm -hmm. get that person some help. If you don't feel like you can help them safely, obviously people felt they couldn't help him safely. Mm -hmm. Just leave him alone in the dark, you know, with mm -hmm. no assistance. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, cause obviously it, it led to his demise, which is really unfortunate. Mm -hmm. It happens quite a bit. With partying and with you know, mm -hmm. excessive drinking and with drug use, there was a case like two miles from my house just here a year or two ago where yes. a, a guy, like late teens, uh, he and his friends had been out partying. He'd parked his car in a parking lot of a closed business and he was like passed out drunk and they just drove back to where he'd left his car and put him in it. And the next day, people got to work, and there was a car in the parking lot that nobody could identify and discovered a dead body in the back seat. And had yeah. those friends of his taken him to the hospital, instead of left him, you know, leaving him alone in his car like that, he probably would have lived. Yeah. It's a terrible thing. It it's terrible. It was a horrible thing for his family, for the people who found him, and for those idiot friends who now have to live with this, you know. Yeah, when they could have taken him to the hospital, but you exactly. know, people get, you know, they're usually messed up themselves, and they're paranoid too, and they're worried and, about know, lots of things that are been yeah. underage themselves, and they were. They, it was a bunch of underage kids that didn't want to get in trouble, you know, mm -hmm. didn't want to get kicked out of their college, so on and so forth, and this is what happened. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it does happen, and it's profoundly sad. In the case of a 32-year-old, I would sure as hell hope not. But these were people that were protecting themselves and their jobs. And I think in not saying anything about what really happened, that's uh, they're still protecting it's themselves still yeah. yeah, and kind of trying to protect Henry's re reputation. But I don't think it's really all that uh, heroic on their part, you know. No, it's much more self-serving is my sense, which is really unfortunate because right. his, family, his family certainly deserves to know what happened to mm -hmm. him. Um, you know, I don't know how you have any closure and move forward in your life when you lose somebody in that way, mm -hmm. you know, and there's always that question hanging over your head for the rest of your life about what happened to them. I mean, that mm -hmm. the, the, the mental and emotional strain of that is, is very significant. It is. And for the wife who, first of all, was out of town. So she also has to live with the fact that she was out of town and had she been home, maybe this would have never happened. And then again, maybe it would, you know, we don't know right. that, but I know in, you know, as working as a medium and working God, with, I can't even tell you how many families over the years, you know, who've lost somebody, the living want to make themselves feel guilty. Mm -hmm. They really want to make themselves feel guilty. There is a layer there of, of humanness that we want to feel guilty for when somebody dies. Well, we want to feel like we're in control. We want to feel like we yeah. have some power over a situation like that when so frequently we don't. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I get it that, you know, you want to, if you take on responsibility for it, it means that you had some power in that situation when in fact you're yeah. just completely powerless. Yep. Yep. For sure. So there you have it. Well, a lot of love yeah. to his family because that is Most just definitely. extremely unfortunate and unnecessary thing. It's just really sad. Yeah, it really is. It really is. But um, I'm glad at least that you made some contact with Henry and, and got some answers here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he'll just be, you know, 
hanging out in heaven, waiting for his family and taking good care of them as best he can from the other side. Sure. Because that's what they do. <laughs> that is what they do. That is very true. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, don't forget to check us out on Facebook. We're True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Mm -hmm. Of course, um, you know, you might be watching this as a YouTube video, but if you're listening to it as a podcast, we have a video. We have a YouTube channel, so you can watch the shows if you want. We are also on Patreon. If you want to become a patron of our show and uh, get some extra content that way and support what we're doing and help us keep doing what we're doing. And that's always appreciated. And so you can find us true crime paranormal with the psychic sisters at Patreon as well. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us tonight and we'll see you next week with another story. Perfect. Bye guys. Take care. Bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.